if you look at it, everybody got your notes? Did everybody get the notes, the handout this morning? If you look at that, what does that look like? Does that remind you of anything? School. It reminds you of school, doesn't it? So uh, Pastor Aaron came up with a great little thing there. We're doing Soul Winning 101, and he said, what if we did this? And that was a great, a great suggestion because it takes you, it looks like a, the cover of a composition book, you know, what you would have had for school, what you would have written, it, written in, taking notes and things in. And, and uh, so it's, it's taking you back. So listen, don't ignore me now that you think, well, man, here we are. We're going to school this morning. But we are going to go to school. We're going to continue. We're really continuing the series that we've probably in, in, been in for four or five Sundays. Uh, this is really a continuation, but for the next couple of weeks, couple of three weeks maybe that, 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 that I, as I will preach on this, we're going to look at this topic of soul winning. And I've been praying, and if you've been, the men who've been at prayer band, they know my prayer has been for months now, that the Lord would give us a, a heart for souls in this church. That we wouldn't just, it wouldn't just be something we say that we're passionate about and say that we believe in, but that we truly would get a passion about leading others to Christ and being very intentional. And listen, if we're not intentional, it's, it's like this. How many of you have ever, you got somebody that when you see them, you go, hey, we ought to, we need to grab dinner sometime. <laughs> I lost a bet last year uh, when Georgia played Florida. And, and we still hadn't put that dinner. It was for a dinner. So I still owe Holly and Greg a dinner. And, uh, if, you know, we have to be very intentional. So this morning I came in and said, is Greg here? I knew he wasn't going to be here. I said, I was going to, no, I didn't know. I was hoping he was going to be here so we could take you out to lunch today and, and pay off my, I hate to owe somebody. Uh, we could do double or nothing on this season, but Holly said, nope, I'm collecting now because we don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, but but what what we what I'm praying for is that our church get a passion for souls. And listen, if if it's unintentional, you go there's there's this dinner. We should get together and do dinner. Until you put it on the calendar, it ain't gonna happen. So soul winning is the same way. We have to be very intentional if we're gonna be a soul winner. It, it can't just be that. Oh, yeah, I thought about this as this came up. No, it is something that needs to be a part of. It needs to be something we're passionate about. You know what? I don't question Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I have no question about where I'm going to be. There is never a debate. My kids have never for years asked me, have not asked me on a Saturday night, what are we doing tomorrow? Because my kids know Sunday morning we're going to be in church. Wednesday night we're going to be at church. All through our church history we've been Sunday nights was a church night. And it's different here. But when church, when we have church, we're going to be in church. That's just, my kid, was there any question about that, Jordan? No question. So that was in our DNA. We're going to be in church. You know what? Soul winning ought to be just as much in our DNA. It ought to be a part of who we are and what we do as believers. I mean, as a believer, once I become a follower of Christ, God has said, go now and make disciples. Our number one job as a believer, it, well, we got a lot of jobs as believers, but we're to love our God, the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we're to love our neighbors ourselves. And he tells us to go and make disciples. If I love God, if I love God with all my heart, my, my soul, my mind, my strength, with everything, if I love him with all that I, that I am, then I'm going to fulfill that part. And then, and then he tells me to love my neighbors myself. Well, there's no other way to express my love for my neighbor than a concern for their eternal destination. Listen, we, we, we've lost two in, in the last two weeks. We've lost two dear members of our church. But I don't grieve them wondering, man, I, you know, Rob, he, he, uh, we just don't know where Rob is because Rob, you know, he rejected and I don't really know what he believed. No, we know what Rob believed. We, we know his testimony. We see his testimony. We saw it lived out in his life for 20 plus years in this church. You know, I don't want to get ahead of it because I know what, what I'm going to share when that day comes. But Rob was a servant. Man, you may not be, ever be more like Jesus than when you're being a servant. And Rob just modeled that. I don't wonder about Rob. I don't wonder about Florence. Florence On June 28th, when Bill was having a surgery, I got to sit with her for three hours, and we had a long conversation, and we talked about salvation. And there were some things I think she had, not, not questioning her salvation, but there were some questions she had. And man, when she really nailed those down, sitting in a waiting room, waiting to, to talk to Bill's doctor. Just nailed it down, but she knew, and we, we talked about, I have absolute confidence in her testimony and her salvation. There's no doubt in that, and that brings great peace. But all of us in this room probably know somebody who's gone into eternity, and we don't know. 
We never talked to them. I don't have any reason to believe they knew the Lord, and we never shared with them either. We never had that conversation. Wouldn't it be great if there was nobody in your life close to you that you ever had to wonder? Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to trust the Lord. Everybody's going to get saved. We know that's not the case. But, man, it would, it would be great if we knew I had the conversation with them. I shared the gospel with them. I know they've heard it because I shared it. I don't have to wonder. And God doesn't tell us to go out and save anybody. That's his job. That's his job. But our job is to be very intentional with going out and sharing the gospel. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks is, is soul winning. So this morning, soul winning 101, if you want to turn to a passage, I'm going to be all over the place, but if you want to turn to a particular passage that we're going to look at a little bit at, go to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at, we'll look, we'll, we'll look there. But let me say this. Soul winners are not born. Other than the fact that when you're born again, when you are born again, when you are saved, when you come to faith in Christ, you should become a soul winner right there. That should be the beginning journey of you becoming a soul winner. So, but soul winners are not born. It's not like they're, they're elite athletes. Look, guys like Michael Jordan, he had a gift that God gave him. I've shared this. I mean, I, I, no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to grow beyond five foot 11 and a half or three quarter, wherever I'm at now. No, I'm, I, I can try all I want. I can shoot baskets from dawn to dusk for the next 20 years, and I'm never, I'm never, I was never going to have the ability he had. God gave him a great ability, and he practiced, and he used it. So there were some things that he was born with that God had given him. God doesn't specially select certain Christians to be soul winners and certain others not. And I think a lot of times within the church, there's this idea of, well, the preacher, he's the soul winner in the church. Or, or you know, we have these certain missionaries and Sunday school teachers or the deacons and the elders. They're to the, be the soul winners. Yes. Yes, they are. But everybody that has been born again is to be a soul winner. Every one of us. So we, we, we're not some elite group. They're, they don't have special talents and abilities. God has not chosen a few to be, a great, to be great soul winners. In fact, Acts 10, 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, I trust, uh, in tr he said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In this area, he does not. We're all called to be soul winners. Every one of us should be about this. But the truth of the matter is soul winners are made. How are they made? Number one, they're trained. We, we, you, there's training. There's things you can learn to become a soul winner. Number two, they're taught. So there's information that you can be given. There's things that you can learn. You're trained and you're taught how to do these things. And then number three, they're motivated by the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Peter says in Acts chapter 5, he says, And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So when we go out and we, and we you know, look, when we walk, we should walk, walk, walk by, we walk in the power of the Spirit, not by the power of the flesh. So we walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then as we walk in the Spirit, as the Spirit of God works in us and works through us, it is He that works. So as we obey God in doing what He's called us to do, then He works through the work that we do in obedience to Him. There's a great, great picture there of how God works. But here's the problem. We have these we have these. We have a calling, we have the ability, we have the information, we have all this stuff, and we leave it unutilized. I want you to, how many of you have seen the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks? How many of you have seen that movie? All right, I want to show you a, a, little, a little spoof here and, and make a point with it. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Uh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. <laughs> Thank you again. You keep up the good work. I've seen that so many times, and I still find that to be so hilarious. His reaction to that is so hilarious. Oh, nothing. Everything he needed. Look, here's the point. Everything he needed was in the box. And, and oh, I had a print. 
you know, I'm going to deliver this package. And, you know, and if you saw the movie, he kept one package back. He didn't open it. He opened everything else, and he didn't open that one package. And that was kind of the motivation for him to get off that island. He was going to take that package and deliver that package. How stupid and corny is that? If I'm deserted on an island, so I'm going to open everything I got. I'm going to figure out what's in there, what I can use. But I get it. I get the point of the movie. But that's hilarious. But here's what he did. Here's where we're at, Christians. We don't utilize what is there and available for us when it comes to soul winning. We don't know how to soul win. We don't know the, the methods of doing that. We don't know the scriptures that we should use. We, 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 we know the gospel roundabout. We know, I mean, I know, I know the gospel that's this or maybe it's that. And I, I know how I got saved, but I'm not sure how to. Look, I understand because I was there. I remember as a teenager, I knew how I got saved. But I was so scared to witness because here's why I was scared. What if somebody wants to get saved? I don't know what to do. I mean, if I, and I don't really, if somebody said, hey, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, I know you're a Christian. Tell me how I can become a Christian. I was like, uh, oh, I don't know. So I remember asking somebody and they, and they shared with me the Romans road. Many of you probably heard of the Romans road. And I took the Romans road and I memorized that. And man, what confidence then that gave me just simply having some tools in my belt to use at those times. Now that's not where we're going to get to today. So we're going to lay some foundation on this this week. And then next week, we're going to do Soul Winning 201, second part of this course. And that's where we're going to look at methodology. We're going to look at different ways. But we want to lay down the foundation and make sure everybody's on the same page with this. Look, everything we need to be effective soul winners is available to us as long as we don't leave them unopened. So we got to get this information. Now, I want to say this. You will not be a soul winner if you do not believe in hell. You won't be a soul winner. You won't be a soul winner if, if you do not believe in sin. You won't be a soul winner if you don't believe that people must be saved from their sin. You won't be a soul winner if you don't believe that God will send people to hell. There are people that believe that, well, God, you know, God is love, and I just don't believe God would send people to hell. Well, God is just, right? He is just, too. He is love. And scriptures make it very clear. He doesn't send anybody to hell. He has done everything to keep us out of hell. In fact, we're already condemned. We're already condemned. John 3, 17, 18. We're already condemned if we've not trusted in the name of Jesus. So he's done everything he can to keep us out of hell. You, you won't be a soul winner if you believe that there are many roads to heaven. Well, why do I need to tell people about Jesus if you're like Joel Osteen? And it doesn't really matter whether I share the gospel or not because there's multiple ways to get to heaven. I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that this is the only way. Smiley. Come on. People go, you shouldn't do that. Why? He's a false prophet. He's a liar and a deceiver. And there are guys out there in pulpits all the time that are leading people straight to hell. I have no compassion for that. You will not be a soul winner if you believe the game is fixed and it doesn't matter what you do. You will not be a soul winner if, if, you, if you're not saved. Because if you're not saved, you won't get it. You don't get it. You don't understand. You just, you, you, you won't care. Because, what? well, I mean, if I don't need it, nobody else needs it, right? The bottom line is you won't be a soul winner if you just don't care. And, and I'm afraid that there are a lot of professing Christians who just don't care. Now, you'll hear that I say professing a lot. Because that's, I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody in here other than me. I don't know if there's anybody else in here saved. I don't know. You make a profession and we see your life and the Bible says you're not, no, the Bible doesn't say, people say the Bible says we're not supposed to judge. Hogwash. We are absolutely, we're fruit inspectors. We're supposed to look at the fruit of your life. We're supposed to look at it and we're supposed to encourage each other. And we're supposed to call it. We're supposed to challenge people. We're supposed to weigh those things out. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I struggled with preaching a funeral for someone back a couple years ago. I got called to do a funeral for a guy that had overdosed in the community. And, and I didn't know him. Nobody in the church knew him. Very few people knew him. There were very few people that even came to the service. But I, I was like, what do you do? I'm not going to get up and, and talk about this guy and how good he was and he went to heaven. I don't know anything about him. And I did some reading and it, man, it really helped me. And, and this one guy said, you can't say that person is in hell any more than you can say anybody else is in heaven because I do not know. Only God knows. And you know, you know, 
God and the Holy Spirit have spoken to you and worked in your life. You know that. You have that confirmation. I don't know it. I can't tell you you're saved. But I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot of professing Christians who say they're born again, and they don't give a rip whether somebody goes to heaven or hell. And that's why I say professing. Because if you really don't care about someone else's eternal soul, I don't think you've dealt with your own. I don't think you understand the importance and the magnitude of, of, of heaven and hell and the reality of it. If you don't have a compassion for somebody else, I don't think you've ever come to grips with your own eternal condition. So it's important that, that we understand these things if we're going to be a soul winner. So number one, let's look at this. Number one, what is the gospel? So gospel means, now listen, there are books that are written on this, okay? So please don't come up after this and go, well, you didn't use this verse, this verse. Please don't, because I, I, if I'm absolutely off on the gospel, then you please challenge me on it and we'll, we'll correct it. But I, I think I, I'm, I, I'm trying to convey for you very simply here, condensed, boil it down, Something that books and books and books and big old books have been written on salvation. What is the gospel? So what is the gospel? The gospel simply means this. It simply means good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. So what is it? And where do we find it? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And we preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Paul, Paul's sharing here and he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. He spells it out right here. I'm, I'm declaring to you the gospel, the good news. Here it is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Scripture said that's what he was going to do. He did it. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he's, he's basically saying, look, the Scriptures are already there that tell us of the Messiah, that tell us that he was going to die for our sin, that says he's going to be buried, and says on the third day he's going to rise again. So Christ did that. This is the gospel. This is the good news that, that Christ died for us. So the, the gospel, if you want to get it down to a very simple statement, here's the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And I hear people say, well, the Bible's the God, but the Bible contains the gospel, and the whole Bible is good news, but the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we say that's good news. So, man, Christ died. He was buried. All right, I get the rose again thing, but why is that good news? So here's the importance of the gospel and understanding the gospel and understanding why it's good news. Because you'll tell somebody, okay, hey, can I share with you the gospel? What's the gospel? It's good news. Well, what is this? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, why is that good news? Well, you got to be able to understand why it's good news. And if you got to have good news, you got to first be able to convey the bad news, and then they can understand why it's good news. So when you look at the gospel, so what is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. When man fell into sin, God had created man, put him in a garden, said, don't eat of that tree. You can have everything else, but don't eat of that tree. And what does man do? Satan comes in, tempts Eve. Eve takes of the fruit. She gives to Adam. He eats. They disobey God. They fell into sin. It's that simple. They fell into sin. And that sin came upon all of us. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sinned entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans 3.23, here's, here's those scriptures of the Romans road that I was speaking of. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. You know, so you, you want to help, you got to help people understand they're lost before they can realize I need to be saved. They have to understand, you got to get a person diagnosed with cancer. They got to understand they have cancer before they're going to be willing to take the chemotherapy. I ain't taking it. You ain't sticking a needle in me and pouring chemo in my body if I don't believe I have cancer. So I got to understand the need before I'll take the remedy. People got to understand that for all have sinned. And doesn't say some sin, most sinned, or a few sin. It says all sin and come short of the glory of God. And there has to be perfection to get into heaven. We fall short of that. So we're in trouble for all fall short of the glory of God. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 says, and you, and he's speaking here to those who have been born again, but he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. So when you haven't been born again, you know where we're at? We're lost in our trespasses and sins. That's where we're at. And we're in a hopeless state. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. First part of that verse. The wages of our sin is death. 
That's a hopeless situation that we're in. And we want to get people to understand that so that then they understand, well, why? Oh, so that's why the gospel is good news. Well, let's go on with that. Well, see, God made a way. There was no way for me to get to heaven, no way for me to get to him. My, my sin has separated me from God. But God made a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with himself through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Romans uh, 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's, there's the promise right there. John 3, 16 captures it. God loved us so much. We're lost. We're hopeless. But he loved us so much he sent his only begotten son, his one and his only son. He sent him and he sent him what? Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He sent Jesus to die for us. He took our place on the cross and, and, and that whosoever believes in him. And we'll talk about what that means. But it's whoever believes in him, faith in him, should not perish, should not die, should not die that second death. We can die a physical death, and, and there, there's, there's, that's not the hopeless part. The hopeless part is to die that physical death without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then we perish. We die a spiritual death and we'll be eternally separated from God in a real place called hell. So that's why this gospel is such good news. And then we, we see there that God sent his son and Jesus is the only way. This is important to understand, folks. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl comes to the Father but through Jesus. He is the only way. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other thing. There is nothing else that, that can or could or, or that we're required to. It is Jesus and Jesus only that can save, and it is Jesus and Jesus only that does save. So there's no other way. And when you hear someone make a statement about, well, there's other roads, there's other ways, that's not what God said. That's not what Christ says. It's not what God says. It's not the words, what the Word says. And when you look at the entire counsel of God, it is very clear that Jesus is our only hope. Amen? Amen. So there's the gospel as we look at the gospel. So then, then the question comes up, well, there's the gospel. Then how does someone get saved? Again, look, there are books written on this. Books, I'm going to try to summarize it in a short thing about how someone gets saved. Now, I'm not getting in the nuts and bolts of, 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 of yet of how, how maybe you get somebody to that because there's some real danger in what we have done, what I've seen people do, and we give people a false hope. We give them a false they have a false profession, a false testimony, and, and, they, and they've done something, and they think they're born again, and they've never really been under conviction. They've never repented. They've never come to Christ, and yet they walk around thinking because, um, I hope to remember this story, and I'll share it later. There's a story that the Lord brought on my mind. That'll fit better later. Okay, number two, how does someone get saved? That's the question. I know how I got saved, but how does somebody get saved? So, so many know the gospel and, and they know who, you know, how they got saved, but still they have trouble with this question. Well, I know how I got saved, so how, do, how does somebody get saved? Look, one of the best verses in all of Scripture to, to help us understand salvation is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it says, for by grace, it is for by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. Spelled out very clearly there. It is God's grace that saves. It is through faith. It is the, the vehicle, the way of, of salvation is God does the saving, but it is through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's not something that we go out and earn. It's, it's a gift from God. You don't earn a gift. A gift is something that is offered and we receive. And the gift has been offered. And it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. If there's something we could do to earn it, well, if there's something we could do to earn it, there'd be plenty we could do to lose it. We talked about that recently about eternal, I think Wednesday nights, we were talking about eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Amen? But you got to be, in order to be once saved, always saved, you got to be once saved. 
There can't be this false testimony or I was saved and I lost or whatever. Look, so, so, so how does someone come into faith? Well, it's not praying a prayer, not praying a magic prayer. Maybe I should say it that way. There's no cookie cutter sinner's prayer. You've heard the sinner's prayer? Look, I think there is a sinner's prayer, but the sinner's prayer is a man that's under conviction, a woman that's under conviction, they call out to God. It's whatever prayer they pray, that's a sinner's prayer, pleading to God for salvation. But there's no magic words. There's none of this, just say this prayer, repeat these words. And I don't, I really don't have a problem. I see a lot of techniques and things that lead somebody to that. But look, if a person is there and ready, I'm getting ahead of myself, we're getting into nuts and bolts. Um, we're going to walk through that, okay? Because I want you to understand one of the worst things we can do is, is take somebody through the gospel and then, and then push them to say some words and they walk out of there thinking, well, I prayed a prayer, so I'm saved. We don't want that. We want a true conversion that's because the Holy Spirit of God, man, I'm getting all ahead of myself. It's not an emotional experience, okay? So it's not this magic words that we speak. It's not an emotional experience. Uh, I've heard people say, well, I felt this way or I felt that or I was just, you know, I was just moved emotionally and, you know, just warmth came all over me or whatever. And there was nothing about the gospel. There was nothing about talking to God. There was nothing about understanding their lostness and, and, and repenting and turning to God. It, it's just an emotional experience. That's not salvation. It's not just believing that God God exists that you know the demons believe and they even tremble they believe so it's not just believing that God existed that Christ existed in a person that that was God's son you can have a head knowledge of who Jesus is and not have a true salvation heart knowledge it's not going through some confirmation classes there are, there are denominations and religion that will take somebody at a certain age and walk them right through these classes and they come through the end of the classes and boom you're you're going to heaven now because you've gone through the classes Cliff knows. Or people that get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Well, I got baptized. I've asked people before, well, you know, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. I said, why are you going to heaven? Well, I got baptized. Well, I didn't ask you whether you got baptized or not. I asked you whether, you, you know, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Yeah, because why? How do you know that? How can you know that? Because I got baptized. So they're resting in the work of baptism. I went up and got in a pool and got dunked. Well, if you ain't been born again, all you did was get wet. But if you have been born again, that don't have anything to do with you going to heaven or not. Okay? That has nothing to do with it. your membership here. As wonderful as this church is, we got a great church, folks. Amen? We got great people in this church. We got folks that love the Lord. And, and you see that in times of crisis. We got, we got folks that just, man, I, I've watched Greg and Holly. And, and, and how they have ministered. Some of you who've been sick, that she, she's reached out to you. She's been willing to use her training to, to contact you and say, how you feeling? Here's what you need to watch for. Here's what you need to do. And, and just willing to serve in that way. And the Greg and Holly have done so much through this time. Uh, but we see that again and again and again. It's Rob. Uh, this morning I heard testimony about Rob. And I think Fred said every time he talked to Rob, he had a trailer hooked up. He's going to help somebody move or, or do this or that. And I, it's funny he had said that because I thought about the trailer out here. I, Rob was always the one moving the trailer. He's the one that moved the, 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 the trailer at Christmas. He pulled it out here, our, our, uh, the, the nativity scene. He pulls it out. I mean, Rob just looked for ways to serve. And he didn't come in here and go, hey, I'm the one. I did that. I moved that trailer out there. I'm a servant. No, he just, he's a servant. But we got people again and again. I'm, I'm chasing rabbits now. But I'm just telling you, I love my church. I love this place. I love the people here. Um, but as wonderful as First Baptist Geneva is, being a member in this place isn't going to get you to heaven. Okay? So, so it, that's not it. It's not working our way to heaven. You can be a great servant. You can do all kinds of things. But being a servant doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Being a servant, if it comes from salvation, man, that's a wonderful thing. But that's not what gets us to heaven. You can, give, you can be the biggest giver in our church and bust hell wide open. It's not how it works. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. So it's grace alone. We can't save ourselves. Only God saves. God does the saving. And it's through faith alone. Faith, not works. It's nothing that I do. Understand, faith is not a works. 
And I've heard folks that try to equate it like, like well, your faith, you know, you, you can't do anything. Well, I'm not doing anything. When you come to, when God calls your heart, he convicts your heart. He is calling you to make a decision. He, is, he has brought conviction on you to make a decision. And that decision, if it's a faith decision, is not works. It is faith. So we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Jesus Christ alone. There is no one and no thing else. Nothing. No thing, no one else that can save us is simply through that. So when we look at the process then maybe of how someone would come to faith, it starts with the Word of God. There, there has to be the Word of God. So it's the gospel presented, and, and so the, the word, it's the Word of God. And, you know, Romans 10, 17, you're there in chapter 10 of Romans there, verse 17. You can look at that. It says, faith comes by hearing and be hearing by the Word of God. That's what we're saved by grace through faith. Well, how does faith come? Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Look, you can go down the road and listen to a great Christian song, but unless the gospel was so clearly presented in that song, I've heard people, oh, you know, I got saved because I listen to a song or they saw a play or, or, or something. Look, it's through the Word of God. The Word of God has revealed to us the will of God and the plan of God, and it's right there in His Word. So it starts with the Word of God. That's why it's important, and what we're going to look at is understanding these methods, understanding these scriptures. When we get into the method, methodology of this is, is that people understand what it is you're calling them to believe. You got, they've got to have a head knowledge, and it comes from hearing the Word of God, being presented with the truth from the Word of God. So it starts with the Word of God. The next part is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Amen? So you've got the work of the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. When we hear the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God uses that in our lives to bring conviction. You know, if I preach a message and, and someone's convicted by it, it ain't what I, it ain't me. It's not me. I'm simply a mouthpiece for God to speak through, for His Word to go forth through. And as we preach and we proclaim and we teach the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God moves in that. The Holy Spirit of God moves when you're reading your Scriptures in the mornings, at night, whenever you open up the Bible and you're reading. God, the Spirit, speaks to you as you read the Word of God. So He uses the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, then uses that to bring conviction in our lives. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him. And I think, you know, I've shared this before. There are people who have this misconception uh, that they think, well, I'm, you know, they're, they're under conviction and they realize, man, I'm a sinner. And they put it off, but they go, they go you know what? I, I like living my life. I like the sin I'm in. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that on the back burner. I'll take care of that later. Folks, that's not how it works. If the Holy Spirit is not con convicting you and drawing you, you can't just come to him whenever you want to. God doesn't work that way. It's very clear in Scripture. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So here's what we do. We preach the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. We share the Word of God. We reveal the Word of God. We present the gospel. And whatever method that is, we present the gospel. The Holy Spirit of God then works in the person's life. And here's what we can do. We can count on three things the Holy Spirit's going to do as we share the gospel. Okay? Number one is he will illuminate the mind of the unbeliever. He will illuminate the mind of the unbeliever. So all souls without God are in spiritual darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Folks, when we share the Word of God, we can trust that the Holy Spirit of God is using the Word of God to illuminate the mind of God. I can't change someone's mind. But the Holy Spirit will take the Word and will reveal that. Do you, do you remember, you know, a time, I mean, remember back when you got saved. 
I, I'd never heard the gospel before. I'd heard of Jesus. I went to a Presbyterian church when I was a little kid for Sunday school. I saw the flannel graphs. Never heard one person in the whole time I went there. Not one person ever said, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You're a sinner and Jesus died for you. We heard the stories. And, and I mean, I, I looked at that and I believed that Jesus was God's son. I believed those things. But I had never been confronted with my own sin. When I heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God illuminated to me, this is truth. This is truth. I remember that. Many of you may remember that. We can count on that, that he will illuminate the mind of the unbeliever. Number two, he will stir the heart of the unbeliever. As Peter preached Christ, the listeners were pricked in their hearts. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard the gospel. They heard the truth. And they were convicted by it. The Holy Spirit was stirring in their hearts. He illuminates the mind. He stirs the heart. Number three, he will move the will of the unbeliever. You know, it's like the, the story of the prodigal son. And if you remember that story, there's a time where he has hit rock bottom. I mean, he's, he's eating out of the pig trough. He's, they're dumping food out for the pig. Now, this is a Jew. Those were unclean animals. To even be around a, a pig was just filthy. It was vile. They, they, they would not have done that. He's so low that he's in the pig. He's in there, and he's eating from the pig trough. Man, that's a low point in life. But I'm going to tell you, if it takes to get it to that point to come to salvation, praise God, bring it on, whatever it takes. Amen? Whatever it takes, it's worth it. But it says, the scripture says there, that he came to himself. I mean, he had, he had been full of himself back here. He wanted his money. He wanted his inheritance. And he wanted to go out and live it up. And boy, he had all the friends in the world when he was living it up. And he's got the money and he's shelling out and he's buying the drinks and he's, they're hanging out and all they're doing what sinners do. But he came to that point and he realized, hey, man, where am, where am I at? He came to himself, the God speaking to him. And in Luke 15, 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He understood his sin. He was at a place of repentance and a changing of his mind. Sinners need to realize, too, that they have sinned against God and that, and that they need Jesus to save them. Folks, we can have all the newest technologies on soul winning, all the newest techniques. We can, have all the, we can know all the Bible verses by heart. We can have a great personality and, and a wonder, you can be a wonderful speaker. And you know what? Your breath can be super sweet and you can have the whitest teeth in all of Geneva. But if we don't have the Spirit of God working, it doesn't matter. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a promise there that if we obediently obey the Lord, we go out and do what he's called us to do, and as we present the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God will work through that. But we have to have the Spirit of God working. It is not you that's going to save anybody. And here's what this does. It takes the pressure off of you and off of me. All I'm called to do is be obedient. I'm not called to save anybody. I, I remember going to the hospital up in Indiana and uh, Wednesday night after church, my pastor grabbed me and says, hey, I just got a call. So-and-so said their neighbor is up there in the hospital. They've got cancer and at stage four, they're dying and, and they don't know the Lord and, and they want somebody to go up and wit would you go up there and, and witness to him? I said, I'd love to. So I go up to the hospital and I've spent an hour with this guy and I'm walking him through the gospel. And it's amazing. As I'm talking and we're going, I'm saying, do you, do you believe this? Do you understand? Uh, yeah, I believe that. I get, I get that. I believe that. And we go all the way through that and we come to a point of him really you know, either confessing the Lord or, or rejecting. And I said, now, is that not something you would want to take care of tonight and deal with that? He said, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make any rash decisions. Now, he's just acknowledged I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I believe Jesus is God's son, I believe he's the Savior, I believe he died on the cross. He's acknowledged all these things with his head, but he was not ready to accept it with his heart. And he just flat out accepted that. I'm not going to jump into anything too quick. Now, just a few days before that, Jesse had come to faith. Jesse had, had come to a point of going, you know what? I, uh, I, I, Dad, I need, to, I need to get this right. I need to. And Jesse came to faith, and he placed his faith in Christ. And I told him, I said, my son understood that. But here's the other thing. If you realize your house is on fire, are you going to wait till tomorrow to get out? 
I mean, when you understand, you come to that place of understanding you're a sinner. But folks, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. So I left there so discouraged. I left there so discouraged because this man acknowledges all that, but, he, he, but he's not ready. And, and, and whether he was willfully rejecting at that point, which I think he was, I went back about a month later. They called me back again, asked me to go see him. I thought, man, he's ready now. He wants somebody to come. I came to the door and he says, nope. I don't want to talk to you. I'm good. Best I can tell, he died just shortly after that and went straight to hell. He rejected the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. The last thing that has to happen there is as, as we have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God moves then and brings conviction in a person's life is the will of the person. And it's a place of repentance, a place of change. It's, repentance means this. It means a change of mind or a change of direction. It, it means to think differently. Now, maybe I think I'm going to get to heaven because I'm really handsome. Well, when I come to an understanding that these looks aren't going to get me into heaven... And I realize that Jesus is the only way. There has to be a change of mind from doing it my way, from doing it this way, or doing it whatever way I think is going to get me. There has to be a change of mind, a willful change of mind, a repentance, where I turn from sin, I turn from self, and I turn to Christ and Him alone. And that's repentance. Luke 13, 3 says, I tell you no, uh, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. Luke 24, 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it, is ne- it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third, excuse me, the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So, folks, it's so important that, that people understand. When we talk about this, this here, it's so important people understand that they're lost. If a person is lost, they need to understand their loss. They have to come to that place of acknowledging that. And people have this thing of, well, you, you know, you, you just don't know. I, I've had so much sin in my life, God couldn't save me. You know what? That's just a whole bunch of hogwash and pride. But you just don't understand. I'm like the greatest sinner there's ever been. God could know. There's no way he could save me. That's just pride. You got to get them past that. You got to get them past to the point of, well, you know what? I'm really a good person. Nope, nope. Scripture makes it very clear. You know, none of us are good. No, not one. All of us are sinners. We have to get people to a place of understanding. Now, you're going to understand this is important because I'm going to share a question. I'm going to share a question with you when we get to the nuts and bolts of how to witness to someone. There's a question I use, and it helps us weed through that. Because if you're talking to somebody, if I got out here and I'm talking to Gina, I'm a witness to her and stuff, and, and I, I say, Gina, are, 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 uh, are, are you, if I say, are, are you saved? And she's been in church all her life, and she thinks that's what's going to get her to heaven. You know what Gina's going to say? Yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Well, now, now, I got to do all this work to get her to understand. If she's not born again, got to help her to understand that and see that. And understand that she's lost. That church, there's a whole lot of work. But there's questions you can ask that'll get somebody right there. They'll tell you exactly what they believe. You can weed all through that. And then they haven't said, I'm saved or I'm going to heaven. And you work from a point of where they are instead of having to get them somewhere. We'll, we'll work through that. So you have the will of the person, and that's repentance. And when repentance comes, a person does that. Then we have saving faith. They come to a place of saving faith. And what is, what is faith? It's believing. It's believing. It's coming to a place of of placing your faith. It's believing. It's placing your faith in Christ. It's trusting in Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's coming to that place where I'm trusting in him. It's, It's me going, if he ain't getting me to heaven, then I'm not going. I've shared a story with you a bunch, and so I got the question, all right, I've read it, I've seen it, but have I ever, is this a real thing? So I, I searched it. So we've got a video that I want to share with you, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. I may stop you at Charles some point Blondine, in there, just be ready. He was one of the greatest tightrope walkers in the history of the world. And one of his greatest feats was walking the, the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, 11,000 feet long, 160 feet above the water. This he accomplished a number of times, and, and always with different theatric variations. Blindfolded, 
in a sack, pushing a wheelbarrow on stilts, carrying a man on his back, and sitting down one time midway while he made and ate an omelet. And one day after he had pushed a wheelbarrow across the, the Niagara Falls and come back on that tightrope, he asked a question. How many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and push him across the tightrope? And everybody cheered and yelled and screamed and everybody believed. And then he asked for a volunteer. And the crowd grew very, very quiet until one man stepped out of the crowd and got in the wheelbarrow. There's a difference between the crowd. Stop it there. That, it was a great story. Then I find out it really is true, and I always thought it was, but I didn't know for sure. That's a true story. That is a beautiful picture of saving faith. You know, this, this, you can talk about, oh, I believe you can do that. I believe you can do that. I believe you could take somebody across there in a wheelbarrow, blah, blah, blah. All right, then get in the wheelbarrow. Because if you don't get in the wheelbarrow, then you don't really trust that he can get you there, that he can get you safely across. And that's when we come to saving faith is when we trust Christ and we believe that it is he and only he that can get us there. Now, salvation takes a lot of different looks, and, and we'll talk more about that in the, in the nuts and bolts part of it. For some people, it's, it's, they walk an aisle at an invitation, and man, it's then, it's right there, and it's boom, it's there, and you see the change. And all. For others, it's a, there's a, God's done a, doing a work, and it's a, it takes some time. I'll share a story out of this book with you next week uh, on this as well, uh, on that. Just an example of how, how the Lord works through different situations. And if we went around the room, we'd hear it again and again and again, right here, all the different ways. Number three, the importance of soul winning. Romans 13, uh, 10, 13 through 17. For whoever, uh, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise right there. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how, how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring the glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? In verse 17, so then come, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we look at verse 13 and we take that in, for who, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. With verse 14, then we find three questions there that we really need to think about. And when, when, when you ask these questions, I mean, they're very, very pointed in a way that really convict us if we think someone gets saved, if whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and look at these three questions. The first one is this, how then shall they call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? If they've never believed in him, they've not even heard of him, if they don't know who he is, how can they believe in him? And the, and the answer is the lost cannot call on the Lord until they believe. They have to, they have to believe. They've got to know who this is. So what do, to believe? Why to believe? Who to believe? Who to believe in? So it's the revelation of truth when we present the gospel. We're, we're, we're helping them to understand the truth there, and they know who then I'm going to place my faith in. But they can't call on someone. They can't call on him in whom they've not not even believed. I don't even, uh, what, I didn't even know there was such a person. Okay. The second one then is how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? Again, if they haven't heard of this person, they can't believe in him. If they don't believe in him, they can't call on him for salvation. So, so how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And the, and the lost cannot believe in him until they have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we see some examples of this all through scripture, the Ethiopian eunuch. He had to hear it in order to believe. He's, he's riding in a chariot. He's, he's reading the scriptures, but he doesn't understand what he's reading. He needs someone to help him, someone to preach the gospel. And someone came along. 
Cornelius had to hear to believe, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 48. You can read that account there. Cornelius was a seeker, but he needed to hear the gospel. He needed to hear the truth to believe. Lydia was a worshiper. She went down worshiping God, but she was not a follower of Christ. She was, and, and she's down by the river, and there were women went there, and they prayed, and Paul's seeking out, where are the worshipers? Where are people who, these religious people, where are they at? And he found them out, and he went down, and he shared the gospel with Lydia. Lydia had to hear to believe, and when she heard, she believed. The Philippian jailer had to hear to believe, Acts chapter 16. And you and I had to hear to believe. Number, uh, or number, number, letter, number letter C. How shall they hear without a preacher? And when I say preacher here, what we're talking about is a gospel witness. doesn't mean it has to be a pastor. doesn't mean it has to be an evangelist. But we're talking about a preacher is someone that's going to share the truth with them. Maybe, it's a, maybe it is a Sunday school teacher, but maybe it's a, an eighth grader in school, in class, or at lunch, sharing the gospel with a friend. And so the answer is the lost cannot hear the good news of salvation without a gospel witness. There's got to be someone to share, someone to tell. 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost because 120 people witnessed. The eunuch was saved because Philip witnessed. The woman at the well was saved because Jesus witnessed. Paul was saved because Stephen witnessed, and then God spoke to him face to face. And you and I were saved because someone told us. And you've heard the story. I got invited to go play basketball. I get down there and they confront me with the gospel. And praise God, my heart was ripe. I was ready. It was just fruit on the tree ready to be picked. Just put your hand there and touch it and it falls in your hand. I was fruit ready to be picked. And, and, and God led them to call me and I went down and he shared the gospel. And right there that day I trusted Christ for, for my salvation. I put my faith in him. So it's important that we share the gospel. It's so important. And I asked this last week. I don't, I don't know if I asked it this way, but I guess I would ask it this way. How many of you, if you're being honest, are a little scared of witnessing to other people? If you're just going to be honest. I still, I mean, I'm a preacher. I still get times where I have that opportunity and I can feel the nerves because you never know how people are going to respond, especially today. Well, I'm going to read a couple of quotes. I read a great book this past week or so, and there was just some quotes in here that hit me. William Wilberforce, some of you know that name. So William Wilberforce was instrumental. I mean, he was the spearhead for having the slave trade outlawed in England. And, and so he was a big giant of a man. I think he was five foot three. And, uh, but the story of him coming to faith was incredible. But once he came to faith, it, it was amazing to see what God did in him. But he, God laid the burden on him to do this, to fight this injustice, this wrong. And he spent his whole life doing that. And, and it was near the end of his life that it was actually accomplished. It was years of it. But here's what he said. Here's what he said about, about the fear of this, about this monumental thing, which is what we would feel about soul winning. Man, I don't know if I could do this. But let me ask you this. Has God called us? We've already talked about this, so you know the answer already. Has God called us to be soul winners? Yes. Boy, that sounded like there was lack of conviction there. Wow. Um, yeah, them, them. Has God called us all? If you're a believer, has God called you to be a soul winner? Yes. yes. Okay. So listen to what William Wilberforce said. He said, so Wilberforce didn't leap into the fray in his own strength. He first required a deep sense that God had called him to these things. Do we have a deep conviction that God's called us to be soul winners? That's what you, you've got to get to that place of understanding. Look, this is not a, I don't know if this applies to me or not. It applies to you. The great commission applies to every one of us. We are called to this great thing. And so he goes on and says this, so, so God had called him to these things, else he would have been overwhelmed and the many setbacks would have been a great discouragement. But because he knew that God had set these objectives before him, he knew that the battle was God's battle, not his. All he had to do was to be obedient to what God was asking him to do and to know that God brings the victory. That's the same thing whether you're fighting the sin of, the sin of slavery and slave trade or you're going to be a soul winner. It's the same thing. It's no that God will do the work if I'm just obedient. That's a great, that's a great paragraph right there. That book was worth reading just for that right there. How many, how many of you have heard of Eric Little? Now raise your hand if you've heard of Eric Little. How many of you saw the movie Chariots of Fire? 
Raise your hand if you've seen Chariots of Fire. So you've heard of Eric Little. That's who he is. It's the guy that the movie's about, Chariots of Fire. So we were coming up on the 1924 Olympics, I believe it is. And, and he's going to the Olympics representing Britain. And he's a great runner. He's super fast. They, they just know they're going to win all these things. Well, he finds out ahead of it. I mean, he knew it. He knew it before he ever left. But he knew that they, they were going to compete. And his best event was the 100 meter. And they have the, the, the um, preliminaries on Sunday. And he told them, I won't run on Sunday. And they were, I mean, people were mad at him. His country was mad at him because here you're going to the Olympics. You're not even going to run in your best event. So what they ended up doing, he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. So he ended up, he ended up running the 400 and, and he blew everybody away and set a record in the 400 meter. And he wasn't even a 400 meter runner. He started out, they said he, he was running like he was running the 100 meter. And they said, oh, man, with the way he's running, he'll never make it. And he ran the next 100 meter the same way. And they go, he'll fall out and collapse before he gets there. And he never let up. And he, and he just shattered the world record in the 400, won the gold medal and all that. And God got the glory. But listen to what he said. Because he's talking about making this decision that I'm going to do what I believe God has told me to do. And what he's clearly revealed in his word. And he says, he says if I know something to be true... I am prepared to follow it even though it is contrary to what I want. He, would, he, he said when he was watching if the movie, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but after I read this, I had to go watch the movie. And, and he's sitting in the stands as they're running the 100 meters, and the guy asked him next to him, says, do you have any regret? He says, yeah. But I wouldn't change it. I'm not going, I wouldn't change it. I, I made my decision based on God, not on me. So what did he want to do? He wanted to run. But he wasn't going to run on Sunday because it was the Lord's day. He said, will I follow if it means being laughed at by friends or foe or if it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? He was committed to what God had called him to do. Folks, if we keep our mind on that, then, then we, can, we can move forward with, with soul winning, knowing that it's not about me. It's just me being obedient. Amen? Golly, where's the time go? All right, I had another point. I'll just put that on next week, and we'll, that'll, be, that'll be my launching point for next week. All right, I'm going to stop right there. It's 10 till, and I'm, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't want to kill y'all. Not every Sunday. Pastor Aaron, you can come. Just this morning, I want to I open it with this. Uh, you know, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, I would invite you to step out and come down here and, and let me take the Bible and just share with you. Let me show you. Let me walk you right through that, what I've already shared, and, and introduce you to Jesus today. You know, the Scriptures say that these things I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder or hope, guess. You can know. You can know. While I can't know what decision you make, you can know. You can have that nailed down. And if you're not absolutely certain this morning of, of, of where you're going to spend eternity, I, I pray that you would have the courage to step out and come and get that right this morning. But here's what, what I'm going to do. This altar is open. I've shared with you all, this is the altar. Um, two, two things that I, I would ask us to, to consider praying about. And, and, you know, I've shared this before, and I would love to see us be a church that responds more in this invitation time. I'm just sharing my heart. I, I think there's something about moving in an invitation. I believe there's something special about when God is speaking to your heart, dealing with it, and there is something about stepping out and making a move instead of I'll deal with it later. It, 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 it's, it's often almost like an, if it's not an, an inconvenience. Are we worried about what someone sitting next to me thinks? They, they might think that I'm going down because of this, that, or the other. It doesn't matter what they think. There's a time that's between you and God. But there's something powerful about moving and responding to what God's doing. And this morning, I just encourage you, as we, as we have this time of invitation, a time of reflection, to, to think about two things. Number one, do I have, do I have a heart? Do I have a passion? Do I have a conviction? For souls? Do I have a burden to win lost people to the Lord? This morning, I just say, if you don't have a burden, 
I would encourage you to come and pray and say, Lord, give me a burden. Burden my heart. And you go, oh, well, great preacher. So now everybody's going to know that I'm going down because I don't have a burden for souls. Quit worrying about what anybody else thinks. You worry about what God thinks. Number two is this. Is there anybody in your life, maybe their name's on this cross, maybe their name's not on this cross, but is there anybody in your life that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? And right now they don't. This morning it would be two things you could come to this altar and pray about. Their salvation and your role in it. It's an invitation simple this morning. Do I have a burden for souls? Who do I know that needs to be saved? And what can I do to be a part of that? Father, I just pray that as we, Lord, as we have this time of invitation, reflecting on what we've heard this morning, Lord, I do pray for us as a church. Lord, we don't want to just be a, a lighthouse that shines a light out and if anybody wants to come, they can come. Lord, you didn't call us to sit and wait. You called us to go out of here. And every person, as, as every believer, as we leave out of here this morning, there are lost people all in our circle of influence. I pray, Lord, you'll give us a burden for those who need you. I pray you'll give us a, a burden so strong that we become very intentional with sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with those folks. And Lord, this morning, if we don't have that burden, I pray that, Lord, you'll burden our hearts to have that burden. That we would seek your face, we would pray and ask for you to put a, a burden in our heart for lost people. So Lord, as we just return this song of praise to you this morning, pray that you'll work in our hearts, speak to our hearts, and may we respond and obey God, your leading. Bless now, in Christ's name we pray.